Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. So today we are in week number four of our six-week teaching series on the Church of Ephesus. And for the past several weeks, we've been looking at the Church of Ephesus, which was a church that existed in the first century. Ephesus was a large urban city with lots of commerce and trade, found in what we would consider modern-day Turkey. It was a a place that people wanted to go to. Its key tourist attraction was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was a large pagan temple called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. And there was a guy in the first century who was a Christian leader whose name was Paul. Um, If you've been in church, you've heard that name. He wrote a good majority of um, our scriptures. Uh, But at the time, he didn't know that he was writing scripture. He was just a church planner. He had met Jesus, been radically changed, and he wanted other people to know Jesus. And so he traveled to Ephesus, had visited there, but eventually he moved there and spent two years of his life every day teaching people. And so he started off by going to the synagogue because they met regularly there, and he was teaching. But eventually, they kicked him out of there. And instead of just being like, man, I guess I should quit church planning. Man, this is depressing. He just changed venues. So he ended up in this other place called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus. And he was able to go there because they met during the worst part of the day. They met in the heat of the day. But every day for two years, people gathered around Paul to hear what he had to say about Jesus. Now, you got to remember, like, this is before the printing press. It wasn't like that they had the Bible there. They didn't have their uh, Bible app where they could all pull it up and read together. No, they were like, who is this Jesus? What is he about? So Paul's like, let me tell you about who he is. And so they were coming day after day to know more about who Jesus is and the life that he offered and the faith that it took to follow him. And so some crazy, exciting things happened as this message about Jesus and the new life he offered spread throughout Asia Minor. They were having extraordinary things happen. Uh, Handkerchiefs that Paul had touched were actually used to cure the sick, which was wild. Demons were cast out of people in the name of Jesus. And we even read that there were people who were pagans who had spent lots of money, maybe even thousands and thousands of dollars on books that would have had these incantations and these magical things. And so they said, no, this is wrong. We serve Jesus. And instead of putting those on Amazon and selling them as a used book, they just burned them so that that evil wouldn't continue to be spread anywhere. It was crazy what was happening. And so there was such a change that was taking place in the culture of Ephesus that a riot eventually broke out. That people were saying, you know what, this Jesus movement is going to threaten our economy because we have the Temple of Artemis and we sell little pagan shrines and we're not selling as many because people are all accepting Jesus. And so they actually had this big riot because this Jesus movement was changing individuals' lives that were in turn changing the culture, changing the climate of that place. Now, Paul, he was the typical church planner. So after two years, he threw up a peace sign and he moved to another town and planted another church. And then he moved to another church. And eventually, Paul finds himself in Rome as a prisoner. He's under house arrest. And while in Rome, he thought back to those believers, those people that he spent two years talking to about Jesus, and he decided to write them a letter. And so from house arrest in Rome, Paul writes a letter back to the church at Ephesus and all of those that were Christians in that community. And here's the wild thing. We today have a copy of that letter. 
And we believe that God actually inspired Paul as he was writing that, and what he wrote is without error. And in fact, we include this letter he wrote to them as part of our holy scriptures. It's a part of our Bibles. In the New Testament, it's called the book of Ephesians. It was the letter that he wrote to the Christians that were at Ephesus. And so as we begin to look at this church at Ephesus, these people who experienced this supernatural move of God and were committed to following Jesus, and it looked different. It's the first century, and they were going countercultural, and they were having opposition. What would he write? What would he encourage them with? And so for the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the words of encouragement, that he was encouraging them to take their eyes off of themselves and to fix their eyes on Jesus, to be a person that would reflect the majesty of who God is and not just be self-consumed. And as he began to talk about the newness of life, that they should take their eyes off of themselves, he began to say, listen, Jesus came so that we might have a new life. And so he said, before you met Jesus, there was an old life. It was the old way of living, but everything's changed. And so in the first six verses of chapter two, and you realize like when Paul was writing, he wasn't writing like, all right, this is gonna be chapter two. (laughs) And he put a little one up there. It was just a letter. We added all that stuff later so that we could navigate it a little bit. But he does this, and we'll put it up here on the screen. He does this crazy contrast between what the old life was before people met Jesus and what the life is like after they met Jesus. And so We were dead, but now we are alive. If you've met Jesus, you've gone from death to life. That's the miracle. That's the great news that Jesus says is that you can move from death to life. He doesn't come to make your life better. He didn't come to help fix you a little bit. He came to help revive you. You were dead, and now you can be alive. We were enslaved. You guys remember when you were enslaved to sin and you couldn't break the cycle and the addiction was there? And no matter how hard you tried, no matter how good you were, no matter how long your streak was, eventually it all fell apart. Yeah, that's because we were enslaved. We couldn't break the power of sin in our life. But now, guess what? We are enthroned. We're no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves to this world, but we're enthroned. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are a son and daughter of the king. Like this is crazy, this transformation. We were objects of wrath, but now we're objects of grace. We walked among disobedient, but now we actually have fellowship with Christ. Like what? We were under Satan's domain, but now we are not just under Christ's domain. No, we are in union together with Christ. What's so cool, when we talk about John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. So God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, that whoever might believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to bring us new life. He is forming on planet Earth a new humanity that has life. It's not the walking dead, it's life from the inside out, empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And as he is meeting us, as he is helping us to experience what we might call salvation in the church or the born-again experience, as we are experiencing a regeneration of our old life becoming new, as we move from death to life, man, it's exciting individually for that to happen. And we want each of you individually to experience that salvation, that life change. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't come just to save you. He didn't come just to save me. He came to save us and to form us into a new society. That's the crazy part. And this is what we're going to talk about today because God is forming a new society. 
It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's not just me and my walk with Jesus. No, as I've accepted him, he has brought me into life into a new community of people. And this is a new society. This is not like any other society on the face of the earth. There's no other club, no other membership group, no other place that you have what he's forming because it's empowered by his Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. This new society that God is forming is super diverse. It's super diverse. And I'm gonna be honest, some people don't like that. But here's the thing. God's new society is not just made up of one people group. It's not just made up of the Jews. It's open to all people. His new society is not made up for just men. It's not made up for just women. It's for both men and women. It's not made up for just old people. It's not made up for just young people. It's for people of all ages. It crosses the economic boundary lines. It's not just for rich people. It's not just for poor people. It's not just for middle class people. It's for everyone. God is forming a new society and it's super diverse. It's made up of people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every economic level, every walk of life, every economic level. They are a new society, a new people who have came together because of who God is. So I want to hit pause on that message, and I want to invite my friend Tyler to the stage. Would you guys put your hands together and welcome Tyler? Now, Tyler and I got to know each other more than we needed to this week <laughs> because we were at camp together sharing a dorm room, and uh, apparently there's a video somewhere of me snoring because I had earplugs in and I was out, um, and so we will not let that get out in public. Uh, we had a good time. Um, I don't even know. You had one injury, but it was all right. You survived the week. Um, so, so we spent a lot of time together. So Tyler, this is going to be your microphone. Would you tell everybody uh, what grade you're going into and how old you are? I'm going into seventh grade or eighth grade, and then I am 13 years old. 13. Let's go. You guys remember being 13? Wasn't that a great year? If you could all relive one year, wouldn't you pick 13? He's in that moment. He's loving his life, right? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, Tyler and I have a lot of things in common. Like, we're both men, right? We, we both live in the Kansas City metro area. Uh, we both um, are white. I mean, it's just the truth. Uh, we go to the same church. We have a lot of things in common. We speak the same language. We like some of the same foods. Uh, there's a lot of things that we have in common. But after spending five days and four nights with this guy, there's a lot of differences, too. <laughs> I mean, we are not the same person. And so... Uh, I'm going to have you help me with the message today. And Tyler doesn't know uh, what, what he's up here for. Um, he just said that he would be a willing participant. And so here's what I'm going to have you do, buddy. I'm going to ask you some 90s trivia questions. Okay? So I'm going to ask you some questions that people who lived in the 90s would know the answer to. Um, and we just want to see what your response is. What year were you born? 2009. 2009. So you're like a full decade removed from, from the 90s. Uh, this is going to be so great. Um, the other day, I was with my uh, boy Max, and Max is seven, and uh, I was telling him something, and, and the topic of a bar of soap came up. And he like raised his hand, and he's like, Dad, what's a bar of soap? 
And I realized his entire life he's only used body wash. He has no idea the concept of a bar of soap. And so I was like, I probably need to go buy one of those so that he knows what that is uh, and we can have that moment. So you might have a bar of soap moment here in which you're like, I don't know. And so if you don't know what it is, just be honest and be like, I have no idea what that is. All right, first question. What is a burnt CD? That's a really good question. <laughs> all right, all right, no, 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 no idea, no guess? No. Okay, all right, uh, number two, what is a floppy disk? Isn't it like a, something that goes in a computer to hold, like, information? Yes, let's go! I'm impressed, I'm impressed. All right, next one, what are yellow pages? They're in the phone book, right? They're like the... Yeah! All right, bonus follow-up. What's the difference between white pages and yellow pages? <laughs> Your dad's trying to help. <laughs> no idea. Um, isn't it something about, like, the, the people that are on the pages or, like, the companies that are on the pages? Like the yeah. yellow is... We'll go with it. The yellow page has got the businesses, yeah. the white yeah. pages are the people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, we're, we're going to give you a hard one here. You're like, those weren't? Uh, who said we were on a break? I have absolutely, absolutely no, no idea. idea. All right. What is a Walkman? I don't know that. <laughs> okay. What is a Rolodex? Is it like a Rolex or is that different? It's a little different. I thought you might go there. Very different. Very different. It's all right. Uh, all right. Uh, two more. Two more. What does be kind rewind mean? Um, does it mean to be kind and then rewind? <laughs> But what are we rewinding? <laughs> you don't know. No, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right, last one, last one. I'm going to play a sound for you, and I want you to tell me what does this sound mean. So we'll listen. Okay. Okay. It's, um... Does it have to do with like a phone? It does have something to do with a phone. Is it? I to dial up modem, buddy. Okay. <laughs> hey, put your hands together and thank Tyler for playing along. <laughs> His family's gonna have some fun conversations this afternoon. <laughs>
So, so, so why, did I, why did I have him answer 90s trivia questions, all right? So it's, it's a bit of a sermon illustration, but remember our big point is that God is forming a new society and it's super diverse. And there's a diversity of age between me and Tyler and, and probably you and Tyler. Um, although Tyler and I have a lot in common and you guys probably have a lot in common with him, the 90s trivia questions just happen to highlight some of the differences between him and me. Um, and him and you. And, and here's the thing I want you to understand is that a focus on our differences will eventually lead to division. When I, what I focus my attention on is the things that differentiate us, that eventually is going to lead to a place of division between us. See, the majority of you in this room and those even watching online are adults who lived through the 90s. And those questions, you knew the answer to all of them. Like, that wasn't a shock. You live that. And there can be a place, if you're not careful, that you can begin to feel superior to the next generation. Because you say, they don't know things that everybody should know. And if you're not careful, that thinking leads to you saying, you know what? If you don't even know what a Walkman is, if you don't even know what a Rolodex is, how can you know anything? And that is where we've gone from differences into division and we've created a dichotomy. There's those of us who know some things and then there's them who don't know things. Now, the truth is, is I could get some adults up here and we could go through some questions and I bet that Tyler knows the answer to a whole lot of things about snap streaks and Drake and Josh that you're like, I have no idea what any of these things are. And so we have to be careful because when we focus on our differences, it leads to division and we can all of a sudden begin to label and categorize the other generation. And here's the scary thing. If we're not careful, that division will eventually lead to discrimination. And then here's what happens. I begin to think that all young people are dumb. All young people don't know anything. All young people, and I begin to label, categorize, stereotype their whole people group as something other than me, and they don't understand me. They couldn't possibly, they didn't live the same life that I had, blah, blah, blah. We focus on our differences that leads to division, and before we know it, we're discriminating. And this happens in the church. The one place it should never happen. Jesus said, I got two commands, real simple, love God with everything in you, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But then we're like, well, I don't think I can love them. Do you know how different we are? Do you know that they're not anything like me? Do you know what part of town they grew up in? Do you know what kind of economy they live in? Do you know how they see the world? Do you see what they think is funny? Do you see their entertainment? I can't, I can't love them. They're not like me. And all of a sudden, we who are claiming to love Jesus are guilty of not loving Jesus. Because if we love Jesus, we would love others the way that he loved us. But that division leads to discrimination. And we are not being what God is calling us to be. See, God is calling us to be a part of a new society that is based on love. It's based on us coming together. It's not just old people. It's not just young people. It's old and young people. It's not old people and young people being coming like the old people. It's not young people and old people becoming young people. No, no, no. We have a third entity here. We're going to become God's people. I'm not becoming like you. You're not becoming like me. We're both becoming like Jesus. God's spirit is at work today in the lives of people who have stepped over the line of faith to move them from division 
to diversity, that we're together, but yes, we are different. And what God wants for us today is the same thing that he wanted for the church of Ephesus. See, the church of Ephesus wasn't having a conflict between generations. It was a conflict that was between different races of people. See, everybody believed in that day that the Jews understood who God was better than everybody else. The Jews, because God chose them and chose Abraham, they had a foot up and that they could be closer to God. They could be holier. And then there was everybody who wasn't a Jew. They just called them Gentiles. They were second rate. You get the leftovers of whatever we would have with God and you're not really a part of the promise. You're on the outside. You're not circumcised like us. We have like evidence that we're sealed. We're part of God's kingdom. But, but what God does through Paul as he's speaking to these people is he says, listen, it's not about Gentiles becoming like Jews. It's not about Jews becoming like Gentiles. There's a third entity known as the church and both groups are to change and sacrifice preferences to be what we're supposed to be. And so the church of Ephesus, man, their past was marked by alienation and hostility and tension and hatred. It was an us versus them. It was the Jews and the non-Jews. And this tension was here. But God was forming a new society, a diverse culture. He didn't tell the Gentiles they needed to become like the other or vice versa. It was a new society. And in a different letter, but on the same topic, here's what Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28. He says, listen, in the church, in God's people, in this new society, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or, and female, for you are all what? One. One in Christ Jesus. There's not two parties in this new society. There's just one in Christ Jesus. As a church and as people of Christ, we need to be careful to not focus our attention on our differences because that will never foster oneness. Unity is achieved by focusing on the areas where we stand together. And this is what Paul was encouraging the church of Ephesus to do. So where do we find unity? Where can we stand together? Well, number one, by knowing the love of God. When you recognize that God loved you, and he doesn't love you any more than he loves me. The amount of love that you have is the exact same amount as me. No matter how screwed up your past is, no matter what you've done, God doesn't love you any more or less than he loves me. We are all equal in knowing God's love. But number two, we also have this place of having a relationship with Jesus. If we've stepped over the line of faith and we've moved from an old life to a new life, then we all have a personal relationship with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus. And that is a place that we can have unity, that we can come together, that we can stand unified. And the third thing is, is that when you've stepped over the line of faith, you've embraced Jesus, then guess what? You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that lives in you is no different than the Holy Spirit that lives in me. There's only one Holy Spirit. And so if we want to talk about the church that's meeting down the street or the church that's meeting across the street or the church that's meeting on the other side of this building on Saturday nights, it's the same Holy Spirit. No difference. It's the same Holy Spirit. And so we can have fellowship and oneness as a church and we don't have to be enemies. For whatever reason, church people sometimes think that we're in competition with other churches. I don't know if you noticed the banner when you came in. It says that there's two churches, one location. We have a second church that meets here on Saturday nights. 
They have a different worship style. They have a different pastor. They have a different leadership structure. They have a different emphasis in what they do. But guess what? They love Jesus. I love Jesus. We got that in common. We've both been encountering the love of God in our lives, and we've both been empowered by the same Holy Spirit. So although they may do church a different way than we do, we are together. We're unified. We are about lifting up Jesus and seeing more people come to know him. We're not in competition. I want to see more people know Jesus. I want to see an emptier hell and a fuller heaven. Whatever we can do to make that happen, let's go that way. God is forming a new society, and it's super diverse. John Stott wrote that the church, as a multiracial, multicultural community, is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. Some of you guys have a real colorful background. And no other human community resembles it. There's nothing like what God makes. God is moving us from division to diversity. He's moving us from exclusion to inclusion. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, here's what we read. For he himself, we're speaking of Jesus, Jesus is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, in Jesus himself, he might make the two into one man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He preached the same thing to both camps. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see verse 18 there? Through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Tyler has the same access to God as I do. Tyler has the same access to God that Pastor Jim does. You say, well, Tyler's 13, Pastor Jim's 74, Pastor Jim's walked with Jesus longer than him. It's the same access. Well, what about the person that's overseas in another country? They got the same access because there's only one spirit. We all have access. The Jews didn't like this. The Jews felt like, no, that we have more access to God. We have all of Moses' writings and the Gentiles don't. <laughs> Guess what? Here's the storyline. You don't have a leg up. It's the same access. In the Old Testament, the way that it worked, only the high priest as Israel's representative, had immediate access to God. That is, that one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, he would enter into the Holy of Holies. And as he did, the rest of Israel would stand at a distance, and the Gentiles wouldn't even be permitted there. But it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we now have immediate access to God through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 continues in verse 19. It says, So then, recognizing that we are one, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Guess what? We all moving in together. New roommates. Here we go. It's diversity. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together 
is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Yeah, we have a new church that's moved in over here. Did you know that there's been this idea of being fitted together? Did you know that they don't think about everything the same way I do? And I don't think about everything the same way they do. And then when we don't think the same way, that there's tension and there's rubbing. And we are learning how do these pieces fit together. The same thing happens when we come into the body of Christ. There is lots of diversity. How do we fit together? I'm so thankful that God's Holy Spirit is the one who is building this church, that he is fitting us together, that we are growing into the holy temple of the Lord, that we are being built together as he would desire. You guys remember that movie, Black Hawk Down? Um, It's a pretty powerful movie. Um, In April of 1994, two Black Hawk helicopters were flying over the Iraqi no-fly zone. But since the IFF system failed, which was the identification friend or foe system, it failed. Our own Air Force couldn't tell that they were firing on their own guys. And there was a tragic and unnecessary loss of 26 military and civilian personnel when the U.S. shot down their own helicopters. And the loss of life, here's the worst part, it wasn't the result of the enemies. It was the result of the allies. And in the church, I wonder how many losses we have encountered due to friendly fire. Because we've refused to be fit together and built together into the dwelling of God. As a church, we have to be better. We have to be better. And listen, if the thought of such a society coming together, especially in a time when the world seems so divided, if that seems impossible, it's really helpful to keep in mind the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 3. And I want you to see these. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Do you know that's the kind of God we have? He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. You think you got great prayers? No, no. He's able to do more than you're praying. He's able to do more than you're dreaming. He's able to do more than you think or imagine. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen means let it be so. Let it be so that God shows off. Let it be so that God brings together people who we never thought would be together. Let it be so that the church no longer hangs on to their political partisanship. Let it be so that the church comes together under the rulership of King Jesus and lives differently in this world. May it never be said that the church was against the church, that the church did not accept one another, that there was internal conflicts. May the church be united as a new society. May they function in love. May they care for others. May they pray for their enemies. May they live unlike any other institution on the face of the earth because it's empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And when the church does what it's supposed to, God's name is lifted up and he will draw all men unto himself. So guess what? If you have stepped over the line of faith, you are a part of a new society. I don't know if you are getting along. I don't know if you're understanding how this works, but you got to push in and it's not comfortable. People ain't going to adjust to be like you. But you don't have to adjust to be like them. We all just have to be like Jesus. It'd be easier to be like you, but I'm going to go for Jesus. We need to be careful. Don't focus on our differences. That leads to division. We need to focus on these areas we have unity. Knowing the love of God, having relationship with Jesus, and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And when we are formed into one body, when we allow God to form us into this new society, we're going to look and act differently. And check this final verse out in Ephesians. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I want you to just pay attention to the word one. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Remember, he's writing from a house arrest in Rome. As a prisoner for the Lord. It's interesting, he doesn't even say I'm a prisoner of Rome. Now, in this season of life, I'm just working as a prisoner of the Lord. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If you would... Let's find those communion elements as we prepare to take these together. There's a small cellophane top that will expose the bread. It's not the best bread you've ever had. And then there's going to be a larger tab that will reveal the cup when it's time. See, when we come to communion, we talk about what the elements mean. What does the bread represent? The body of Christ. We, we, we know that. Uh, we remember that his body was broken for us. And we, we think of this representing the body of Christ. But what we need to be better about is not just seeing this piece of bread as the body of Christ. We need to see this assembled community as the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ on the earth today. And as we partake of the bread, as we do this, it's a sign that we are coming from one loaf, one bread, one unit, and we are all together in unity. And Jesus, he had one cup that he took and asked God to bless it, and he passed it around, and they all partook of one cup. You go to some churches, they have a common cup, and everybody partakes from a common cup. Some of you are COVID freaks, and you're like, whoa, I don't think so. But that was what has happened in the church. It was the sharing of one cup. It's not everybody has their own individual plans. Everybody has a, a diversity of options here. No, no, no. We are all coming together in unity in one body, Jesus Christ. We are partaking of him, and it's through his blood. Not a whole lot of different bloods, not different animals, not different sacraments. No, no, it's through the blood of Jesus that we have unity. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat this for this is my body. Let's partake of the bread. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. If you've received the forgiveness of sins and you want to be unified with Christ and his body on this earth, let's partake of the cup together. And I invite you to bow your head. And let me pray a prayer of unity over us. Holy God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have called us to be united together as your body, as a witness to a divided world. Remind us that your ways are not our ways. And let those who follow your son, Jesus Christ, be peaceable people in the midst of conflict and division. Send your spirit of peace, justice, and freedom upon us. Break down the walls that divide us and make us one. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.